Father, we just thank you for Neil and we just thank you for the blessing that he's been to us over the years. We thank you for his heart for you and Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to grow him in you. We just pray for Vicky and for Joseph as well and we just ask that you will be with them at this time. And Lord, we want to hear from you tonight and we just ask that the words that Neil speaks will be your words. But most of all, Lord, we pray that you will refresh and renew Neil as he gives out to us. And Lord, we thank you for him. And we just say, Lord, that so many people are given to us as gifts. And we just believe that Neil was a gift from you, Lord. And Father, we, we pray that we continue to be, a, to be blessed by Neil. And we lift him to you tonight and we thank you for him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't run away. <laughs> okay, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, it will appear on the screen. We're reading tonight from Romans chapter 4. You'll remember a while ago we started a series in Romans. It's going really well. We're up to chapter 4 now. <coughs> Only a few more to go. And our reading tonight is from... Uh, Verse 18 to 25. Thanks, James. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offering be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave the glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Instances of 
I have this genuine fear. Did, did, did everything I just bare my soul didn't get heard then? I'm not saying it again. I just don't trust sound people, no offence, but I've got the voice of Donald Duck, so when I'm singing, I don't want everyone else to hear. So I always put it on mute, sorry. So, an illustration again. Figures can't lie, said the professor earnestly. For instance, if one can build a house... In 12 days, 12 men can build it in one. Yes, interrupted a student. Then 288 will build it in one hour, or 17,280 in one minute, or 1.036.800 in one second. And I don't believe they could lay one brick at a time. While the professor was still wondering how to respond, the student went on. Again, if one ship can cross the Atlantic in six days, six ships can cross it in one day. I don't believe that either. So where's the truth in your arithmetic? Then he sat down. You can't always trust statistics. Apply this to religious issues. Science can't disprove religion, nor can it produce faith. It concerns me when Christians feel that they need to find Noah's Ark or try to prove the flood. You see, if you have to try to prove faith, is it still faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, as Hebrew 11 says. So as we look at the story of Abraham tonight, we'll see how we are like Abraham. You see, we need to have an illogically logical faith. Faith is against the logic of the world. Abraham is called the father of all believers in the scriptures. He is the epitome of what faith is about. The reason is plain. Look at tonight's reading. It says that without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. I'm not looking at Alan. <laughs> and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. When Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89 years old, God told them that they would have a child. Now, if you told the oldest member of this congregation here tonight that he or she was going to have a baby, most people would call me absolutely crackers. And I'm not looking at anyone because I have no idea who the oldest. You all look the same as when I was here four or five years ago. <laughs> but I would imagine if you were 100 years old, you would say, I really don't want a baby now. Going back to the nappies and stuff, could you imagine it? At 100? Wow. At least you'd be up during the night, though, because you'd have to go to the loo anyway. So. <laughs> but not Abraham. Whereas Sarah laughed with unbelief, Abraham believed God and rejoiced with laughter when he promised him the impossible. It took great faith 
to believe such a thing. That's why Abraham is often called the father of believers. However, did you know that Abraham wasn't always such a strong man of faith? Way back when Abraham was a ripe 75 years old, God had promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. That all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. However, after this initial promise was made, that little seed of doubt started to creep into Abraham's mind. Later on, when God appeared to him in Genesis 15, Abraham says to him, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is not my son? And Abraham says, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham had reasoned that God must have been speaking figuratively, that when he said he would be a great nation. But God once again shares this promise to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And with a visual aid, God told Abraham, go ahead and count the stars. Do you know how long that would take? The Milky Way has a hundred billion or so stars in it. At one second, it would take every star, it would take you 33 years to count a billion. So that's a lot. Then God gives the almighty punchline that Paul mentions. So shall your offspring be. Wow, what a promise. The father of believers then believed the Lord. That even at such an old age, he would have a son. However, this is not the end of the story as we know. Sarai got the idea that she wasn't included in the plan. So she got the wise idea to give Abraham her slave, Hagar, to sleep with. Not a good idea. Abraham may be also re have reasoned the same, that God just meant this. Or maybe Abraham believed that he was some sort of forerunner of Christ. But it wasn't going to happen through his God-given wife. So God had to come back to Abraham again and again and again. And 13 years after his issues with Ishmael, and the record is set straight, Sarai's name's changed to Sarah. And God says, I will bless her, and she will give you a son, Abraham. And she will be the mother of nations. And finally, after all this, after God having to come again, and again and again, Abraham falls face down and laughs out in pure joy, saying, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And God says again, Your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. Now my purpose is not to criticise the father of believers. 
But I was hoping that maybe this picture of Abraham having to be reminded again and again and again helps us make Christianity and faith a little bit more real. We have a tendency to idolise Christians, maybe those sitting around us, as always being hopeful, always able to rejoice in affliction, always upbeat and positive in life. Blimey, if you'd gone to my college on Friday after I dealt with three students attempting suicide and then a staff member having a nervous breakdown in the front of hundreds of students, I wouldn't have been the happiest, chirpiest, chubbiest little Christian you would have ever seen. But more often than being joyful, being upbeat, we find ourselves looking like Abraham did, logically, and getting ourselves into trouble. In order to sin, we have to often times reason it in, into ourselves. We say things like, I know I'm not supposed to have sex, but I know we'll get married someday, so... I know you promised to take care of me, Lord, but how am I going to pay the bills? I know you say you love all people and you want all to be saved, so why do people suffer? There was once a story, a small boy and his sister were riding on the back of a new wooden horse given to them as a present. Suddenly the boy turned to his sister and said, if one of us would get off, there would be more room for me. That was a joke, you don't have to laugh. You see, that's why our logic often works. We say, God, I know you tell me to believe in you and do it your way, but my logic sees that life would be a lot more comfortable without you on my horse. So why don't you just get off my horse for a while? See, your cheesy clip sort of works, doesn't it? I surrender a little bit or whatever. You see, even as Christians, we often question God's will in our lives. In the end, Abraham ultimately was able to throw off the fetters of his reason. Whereas every bit of physical evidence told him your body and Sarah's body are old and well beyond childbearing years. He said, I believe, Lord. In laughter, he proclaimed, will God really grant us a child? It was almost too good to be true, but he believed it anyway. And that's what faith is. The confidence that God will take care of you when all around of you is in turmoil. It is that trust in God and that trust that God still loves you even in the midst of your suffering and your screaming. Faith is that light when philosophy professors are using every bit of logic and evidence to prove otherwise. It is the comfort of knowing that in spite of your sin and rebellion, you're still going to be end up living with Jesus in heaven. 
because it's against the logic of this world. And yet, if faith is illogical, logic, faith is completely in line with the logic of God's word. Do you have such a hope and a faith? How was Abraham able to have it? I don't know if anyone's come across the book, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Has anyone? No? Yes? It's on a bookshelf with 20 others waiting to be read. It's like me. Well, the author tells a story of her son, Joey, who was born with um, a problem with his feet. And the doctors assured them that they would never, ever work properly, that he would never run. The problem is they never told Joey that. So he went out and ran with the children and tried to join the cross-country team. He practiced every day, even when he had a 103-degree fever. They never told him he couldn't run with a fever, so he did. And eventually, two weeks later, Joey made the team. The idea is that anything is possible for those who believe they can. And that's what we often hear. You just need to have faith. Just believe you can do it, and you will. You see, Abraham's faith was not made because of that. Abraham's faith was so strong because he believed God could do it. I have issues with the NIV translation, so I, I won't need to bore you now. But it says, Abraham believed and so became the father of believers. It makes you almost think that Abraham wouldn't have been the father of believers if he hadn't had such great faith. And so preachers will preach that if you want to have the faith of Abraham, you have to believe and act on God's word as Abraham did. In the end, what happens is we are pointed to ourselves and our faith for our strength. And often end up with more doubt, feeling more depressed because we're not a good enough Christian as a person sitting next to us. And we're off on a guilt trip because we don't have babies at old age or get married like we prayed for. Or when someone's diagnosed with cancer, they're not healed. Instead of building your faith, it only decreases it. And it's a shame because that's not what Paul was trying to do. Paul literally states that Abraham in hope believed that he would be the father of many nations. Right in line with what had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. Occasionally, my son Joseph likes to stand on the stairs. Is this being recorded? It is, oh dear. Child protection issue here coming up. So he likes to stand on the stairs and jump into my arms when I come home. But oftentimes he hesitates. And so I have to sit at the bottom of the stairs to convince him to jump. I'm realising how bad this sounds now. <laughs> so much better when I wrote it on Tuesday. I say, it's okay, I'll catch you. 
And sometimes he still doesn't want to jump. I hold my arms out farther and say, it's okay. And then finally, after many promises and assurances, I can convince him to jump. And it is literally a leap of faith. He's in hospital tonight with a broken arm. No, he's not. (laughs) But you see, Joseph wouldn't do it without me holding out my arms. I would even venture to bet that he wouldn't do it for anyone else but me. He would only do it for the person he trusts and the person that he knows. And that's what God did for Abraham. The continual promises of God gave Abraham a faith, a reason to believe that since God is almighty, then he can accomplish the impossible. God had rescued him from his mess in Egypt. He had brought him to the land of plenty, just as he promised. Therefore, Abraham believed that God would bring him a son. And that is what faith is. It's a result of hearing God's promises and God's goodness and being led to believe in him in spite of all the odds. It is not anything that you have. It's what God has. Like Abraham, we often let our reason get in the way of our faith. We walk with fears and sorrow that God doesn't actually want us to have. But God doesn't want us to despair because of our lack of faith. Instead, he wants us to do the same thing as he did with Abraham. It's in times of doubt and questioning that we need to go back to the words and promises of God and let them speak to our hearts. For those of you who know me, uh, you might know my wife as well, Vicky. And she, as if you know me, you know our story. My wife has battled cancer three times in our marriage. And the second time she had it, I was here. And I can still remember crying while I was preaching and being, people being incredibly Christian and good and coming up and hugging me, although I do remember the person hugging me. Um, nearly killing me on the stage here. So, uh, But there was a point one weekend where she was incredibly poorly. I mean, death was imminent three times. I was called to Coventry Hospital to say goodbye. And I remember getting home late, and Joseph was about a year, year old, about eight, nine months actually, and getting into my bed. And it was dark all around. And praying, God, if you are there, please show me. Because I can't feel anything. And I felt nothing for the whole of that evening. You see, good, good, honest Christians, and even my own theology, had made me to believe it was something about my faith that would get us through. People would say, you just need faith. When actually, they and I was wrong. Was wrong? I'm not very good at grammar, sorry. Were wrong. It was actually about 
the promises of God. And that's what will get you through anything. Not the amount of faith you have, but the assurance that God has your hand, your life in the palm of his hand. Just look at how Paul opens up the arms of God in verse 25 of today's reading by describing the death and resurrection of Christ. He says he was delivered over to death because of our sins and was raised to life because of our justification. God's promise is that Jesus was delivered over death because of our sins. But the second part of the passage is even better because it says he was raised to life because of our justification. In other words, God promises us that Jesus was raised to life. It's equally comforting to hear how we receive this acceptance from God. Long before Abraham tried to offer Isaac on the altar or perform one good work, God credited him with righteousness when he believed in his promises. And so Paul writes the words, it was credited to him. And what I love, it says, this was not written for him alone, but also for us. If Abraham was credited with righteousness through faith in God's promise of a saviour, and Paul promises the same for us, then we are also credited with righteousness through faith in the same saviour. So either Jesus died for all our sins and God accepted that sacrifice and I am saved through faith, or God is a liar. And God can't be a liar because my illogical logical faith tells me he's not. And so I must be holy, unfortunately. And so are you. It's these promises that call to us from heaven, singing trust in Christ, believe in his blood and his righteousness. Several years ago, the humanist Janet Reno insulted, in, in, uh, said that Christians were weak-minded people. For us to hope for an eternal life to live with God and to believe in a God who died and rose from the dead seems hopeless and foolish. Seems only gullible people would believe such a thing. But we proclaim that salvation completely based on Christ and not based on anything we do. You see, it's illogical and yet it's logical. So trust the promises that God has given you for your life. Maybe God gave you things years ago. They haven't happened yet. It's not about your faith. It's about trusting in the promises that God has given each and every one of us in this room.